0: Have you heard about Anchor? It's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me fill you in on a few things. Like first and foremost, it's free. And there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Then Anchor is going to distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on multiple platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and so many more. Even better, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And it's so easy, even somebody like me can do it. Now, download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor.fm to get started. And I know you hear me. Welcome back to another awesome episode of the I Know You Hear Me podcast. This week, guys, I say it every week, but I truly, truly mean it. I've got another awesome guest here on the show, and we're going to be dipping into the professional wrestling side of things all over again. Today's guest is probably one of the most revered wrestlers around this area that I'm in, around Nashville, Tennessee, and southern Kentucky, southern Indiana. He's a guy that I didn't cross paths with until about five years into my career. He's a guy that everybody around this area has nothing but respect for, and I've never heard a bad word said about him. But before we bring him on the show today, I just again want to take a minute to thank all of our sponsors and thank all of you who continue to listen and support and keep us going. We're coming up on four months here now, and, God, that blows my mind to even think that. So from the bottom of my heart, Thank you guys for all the love and support. Thank you for sharing it with your friends. And hey, if you get the chance, follow us on all our social media platforms. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram. And if you subscribe to us on iTunes, go ahead and leave us a five-star review so we can keep this show rolling and I can bring you more awesome guests like the guy I've got on the line here today. Guys, today's guest is Victor Lewis and around these parts, he's known as Vic the Bruiser. Vic, how are you doing tonight?
1: I'm doing great. How about yourselves?
0: Man, I can't complain one bit. I'm honestly doing better than I deserve.
1: (laughs) That's awesome to hear.
0: Yes, sir. Man, I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to come on the show here and spend a little time with us and tell us your story.
1: You know, I'm extremely blessed and honored. To uh, have you ask me to be a part of your show, it's a lot to me also.
0: When we finally got to start having matches together, I had to have the guy that I could slip the little Negan one-liners to anytime we were having a match in there, so of course I got to have you on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's,
1: it, it was always a pleasure being in the ring with
0: you. Absolutely, until you hit me with a flip-flop, but we'll get into that here in a little bit. <laughs> Like I was saying, you're around these parts, man, you are one of the most notoriously respected guys that I could think of. And I have never heard anybody say a bad word about you. I have never heard anybody say that they didn't look forward to working with you or that they had a bad match with you. But in saying all that and knowing how much everybody looks up to you... I don't really know what drew you to professional wrestling. Can you take me back to the beginning and tell me about you growing up and what actually got you hooked on wrestling?
1: Oh I'd be happy to. I guess when we all grew up, we all had dreams and we was in the fantasy and everything like that. Well
0: when I was a kid, I always wanted to be a superhero. Oh yeah. I would take
1: a towel tied around my neck, and I would pretend to be the Superman, Batman, just, just whatever. To be honest with you, what drew me close to wrestling was, was my mom. Really? She loved. Yes, she loved wrestling. She loved. If anybody knows anything about wrestling history, she loved Channel Three wrestling. Nice, nice. When the dun 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 dun, dun and you and you heard Lance Russell, and them you know welcome to another great day of championship wrestling. You didn't say nothing,
2: <laughs>
1: just that I remember this this one this one episode this one, this one program. Randy Macho Man Savage debuted.
0: Oh man.
1: Well, first of all, he come out. He come out to one of my favorite songs by one of my favorite bands, War Machine by Kiss. Oh,
0: nice, nice. And
1: if anybody knows me, they know I'm the, about the biggest Kiss mark. Probably walking dogs green earth.
0: I can attest to that. So, this man loves his Kiss.
1: So, and I was taken by. Him. I mean, he come out, he was flipping his tongue. Even though he had a boa constrictor wrapped around his neck, he was larger than life. But I guess what drew me was, he was actually real. He wasn't like the heroes that I read about in comic books. This was a living, breathing animal. Man, he was just everything. And I remember telling my mom, I said, Mom, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to become a professional wrestler. She said, boy, please. (laughs) That right there, that was my journey. And and I did everything that I needed to 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 get to where where I'm at today. The first time that I started training, I got hooked up with a guy that was a con artist back in probably '87. Oh, he took a bunch of us for a bunch of money. His name was uh, William Speed. The weird thing about it is, what he showed us is actually what was really happening, but he was just a con artist. So... That didn't turn out the way that uh, that I wanted to, but I didn't stop. I kept telling my mom, I'm going to become a professional wrestler. I, I hooked up with a friend of mine, and we used to go to Nashville every Sunday morning. This was probably in 91, about the fall of 91, and mm-hmm. we would ride to Nashville at the fairgrounds. And I actually started training under Jeff Jarrett.
2: Oh,
0: wow. I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, I- I remember one of the first things that happened. We was getting in the ring, and I didn't know, because the the guy that took us off for a bunch of money, he never had a wrestling ring. We trained on high school mats and the ground. We took bumps on the ground. That's really how we were trained.
0: Yeah, And that'll teach you to bump quick, too. Bump the right uh, way.
1: Real quick. And uh I remember crawling into the ring to get started, and Jeff said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. He said, Lewis. I looked, I said, oh, what have I done? He's calling me out first. What have I done? He says, are you a midget? (laughs) I'm like, no, sir. He said, only midgets and women crawl through the middle and bottom row. We step through the top and the middle. I'm like, oh. I was never taught that. I was, you know, the guy that, like I said, William Speed never told us that because we never worked in the ring. And then right then and there, it was just like, I belong there. I trained under Jeff uh, for probably three, four months. I guess that was about the time that he was going back and forth for the WWF at the time. Mm -hmm. And then his grandfather took over, Eddie Marlin took over. Yeah, I continue training down there. I guess I got lost in the shuffle and my brother, he told me about Nightmare Danny Davis. He said, Danny's get rid Danny just opened get ready to open up a school in Jeffersonville. I'm like, huh that would be a little bit closer. We'd oh, yeah. have to drive to Nashville every Sunday morning. Well, long story short, I started with Danny Davis. But the weird thing about it is this is, a, this is something that a lot of people don't understand about our business. Not everybody was welcome or allowed to walk through those doors. I remember going to Danny, and Danny didn't want to train me. He's like, "Ah, you're out of shape. You know, you're kind of big. You probably ain't going to pay me my money. Then I'll have to take you to court and blah, (sighs) blah, 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 blah. blah." I literally had to beg. And he was like, no, no, I, I just don't think you got it. So I was working at a car lot, which I still am. I remember going to my boss. And I said, "Look, I know I just started here, but I need two hundred dollars. Can you advance me two hundred bucks?" He's like, "For what?" He's like, "My whole dream is to become a professional wrestler, and Danny Davis has got a school over in a Nightmare Incorporated in Jeffersonville. I'm gonna take him a big down payment." You know, my boss kind of looked at me kind of weird. He said, oh, "All right." So I remember he Danny had a class going on. Right after class was over, he looked over, he said, Oh, you again <laughs> I'm Like,
2: Yep.
1: And I threw down two hundred bucks. I said, Here's the thing. Here's two hundred bucks. If I don't impress you, or if you think I don't have it, all you have to do is tell me to get out of your ring, get out of your building, I'll sign the contract, I promise you you'll get your money. But just, just give me this chance. He's well, it's against my better judgment, but okay. And what can I say? The rest is history. Right. Um, I wowed him, and he was like, oh, my God. It was hard. We're talking the way old school. You didn't get smartened up Mm-mm. until till either your first match yeah it was till your first match before you got smartened
0: up yeah pretty much right in the thick of everything is when you finally like you finally get behind the curtain a little bit even when you're already back behind the curtain.
1: And it's still a kayfabe because you're the new guy, and nobody's really, you know, they're like, "Uh, who is this guy? Who does this guy think he is? And I remember Danny pulled me from his beginning class and moved me up to his advanced class. You want to talk about a rite of passage? When I walked into that advanced class, they looked at me like, who is this cherry? I was intimidated. There was Doug Basham, and everybody knows who Doug Basham is. He went on to become part of the Basham brothers.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: There was me, Mike Samples, who later on that I would team in USWA and be big, bad, and blonde. There was numerous other guys there, and I don't want to cuss, but they beat the crap out of me. I remember after the class, I looked at Dana and said, I ain't ready for this. Put me back into the advanced, put me back into the beginning class. And Dana says, no, look, there's a reason why I brought you in here. You got something that nobody in the other class has. Now, next week when you get in here, I want you to show me that same hunger and determination that you showed me in the beginning class. Don't let these guys push you around. Okay. Well, then the following week, I come back in there and it was a totally different story. I earned their respect. And the first one that took me under their wing was Doug Basham. Me and Doug has been friends for... Oh for years. And he even took me once once I got trained and everything. He was the one that took me on the road with him to different places to to work, shows and everything. It was a journey.
0: Absolutely. There's a couple things I want to circle back to and kind of get some more information on, especially like going back to your first original trainer. And like you said, he was a con man. Did that kind of deter you before you started driving down to the fairgrounds and connected with Jeff? Did that kind of maybe put the brakes on a little bit and think maybe I shouldn't be doing this? Or what was your mindset through all that to just make you that much more eager to find somebody that would actually train you the right way?
1: Well, to be honest with you, it was yes and no. I was like, oh, man, this guy must, he knew all the right things to say. That's why he was a con artist. Yeah, He knew all the right things to say. Like I said, (laughs) the weird part about it is what he told us and what he showed us was exactly what I experienced working with Jeff, but... Every time we was supposed to, you know, he was building the substance. Oh yeah, I got this. I got this big match planned for you with uh, Rip Rogers.
2: Oh, and, you
1: know, blah blah blah. I know. I've known Rip for years, and, and then when it come time to have it, it never transpired. Mm. It was always an excuse. Right. It was always something. So yeah, it kind of deterred me, but I was still determined to prove everybody because everybody thought, Ah, oh, this is the same kid that used to think he was Superman, and he would stand outside and yell up to the sky, Shazam, and now he's talking about he's going to be a professional wrestler. Right. I, mean, I had no athletic ability whatsoever. I like, can relate. Jeff, actually, as crazy as it sounds, Jeff brought it out. Jeff brought out something that I'm like, wow, this is crazy. Like you said, and then from there, Danny brought out the rest of it. You got to go through the bad to get to the good.
0: Yes sir, you do. With that um, too, like with your mom seeing all this, what was her outlook on all that? Was she kind of telling you maybe like back it off or was she still supporting you to keep going till you found a trainer like Jeff or like Danny Davis? What was she doing during all this?
1: No, when when I told her what I was doing, she didn't speak to me for almost 2 months. Oh, boy. She said, you go get out there, you go get your neck broke, and then what are you going to do? She browbeated me pretty good. That right there, I'm a mama's boy at heart. hmm I mean, I'm not ashamed to admit it, and you know, that kind of hurt, but I'm like... <sighs> I've got to do this. Yeah. I, got, I got to see if I can do this. Because I was always told, oh, you can't do this. You can't do that. Bah, 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 bah. And when I was getting ready to have my first match with Danny, I told her, she didn't say anything. I remember mm. getting in my car and... I actually cried because I'm like, oh, man. This, is, this is the woman that brought me into this world. Not only is she my mom, she's my best friend. And I was hoping that maybe she would say, congratulations, don't get hurt, be careful. Yeah. She is so really sad.
0: Ugh, that is rough.
1: But I had support sitting out in the crowd, though. I had my brother, and at the time, I think it was JoJo, my oldest nephew.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And it might have been Michael, my second to the oldest my second nephew and my brother Terry. I picked them up and went and then after it was over they was like oh. my brother was like, oh my God. I had my doubts about it, bro, but you you uh, oh, wow. <laughs> and I didn't have the best gimmick. I went by the wild child Victor Lewis. That was my very first gimmick. I come I didn't have wrestling gear like everybody else. I wrestled in a pair of Zubai pants. <laughs> And a tank top, and I come out. My very first entry music, interest music was uh, Iggy Pop, uh, nice. the real wild one. Nice. And I come out dancing because I started out as a face. Danny wanted me as a face, and I would come out dancing and do all of this. But I felt at home. I felt it felt good. I, it really felt good to have the people cheer to see that you know when they heard I'm a real wild one and they would at the music they'd get the clapping and butterflies would just overfill my body as crazy as it sounds, 30 years, 30 plus years into the business, I still get the butterflies when I hear my my interest music.
0: Yep, and that's one of those things too. They say no matter how long you've been doing it, if you don't get that rush or you don't get that feeling, it's time for you to hang it up. So that's awesome to hear that the passion. And like, you can tell when you go out and work, and I'm speaking from experience here too, like you were always excited to go out there and it was always fun, but it was always business too. It's amazing to see just how much passion you still have for it after all that time as well. And going back to all that, after your brother saw it and your nephew saw it, did they tell your mom about that? And did she kind of start to come around to it and eventually come see you have a match? Or how did that How did that work?
1: Well, funny you should say that. So I went to work... And I, well, I, I'm getting ahead of myself. Me and my brother and my nephews, we was driving home. We got something to eat. And it was awesome. Oh, oh, you are awesome. Oh, that was awesome. And, you know, I'm sitting here going. And I'm still on that high. Yeah. It's, oh, yeah. I know what an alcoholic feels like. And now I know what a drug addict feels like because it's the ultimate high. And it it's is. Perfectly, it's perfectly legal. Yeah. My brother was like, bro. I think you found your niche and I was like yeah but the only thing missing I oh. like, He said uh, let me handle that <laughs> I'm like, well, you know how mommy is. Don't force her, you know, let her make that decision on her own. And I guess the f- next day when I went to work, I guess he had, he come to the house and they were talking. And I guess the subject come up and I guess she asked him, said, well, how did he do? Because when I come home, she was already in a bedroom with a door shut. And i was like, oh, I can't even tell her how the, how everything went. I remember taking a bath, and I'm sitting at the edge of the bed, still on that high. And I got to go to work the next day, and you know she was still in the bedroom, and. And like I said, it, it, it still hurt, but I was still on that high. But anyway, my brother told us that he's good. You need to go see him, Mom. He knows what he's doing. He found his niche. So the fun, the next Sunday, we come in from church, and I was packing my bag.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, she said... Well, at first, she said, Well, what time are you leaving? Said, this is the first words that she's ever spoken to the said to me. I was like, Excuse me, well, what time are you leaving? I'm leaving here about four o'clock. All right, I'm going to ride with you.
2: <laughs> that's all
1: she would say. And I was like, Am I taking you to my brother? She said, I'll let you know. So <laughs> we're driving, and I got the music playing. As another thing about me and my mom, she loved the same music that I like.
0: Oh, that's amazing.
1: And, uh, I'm, we're sitting there listening to the music. She's like, So you're still determined to do this? I'm like, yeah. She's okay. So we've done, we've done past my brother's house. We get ready to cross the bridge. I'm like, Well, I do have an aunt that lives close. So I figured she would tell me to take her to the, to my aunt. I was like, I'm getting ready to pull up to the building. I know. And then at the at the time, if anybody remembers, Danny was on Watch Street. It was a little bitty building. It was probably no bigger than pitcher James Carver's uh, locker room, and spread it out a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's how big the building was. I mean, Ooh. it was small. It held it held probably a hundred hundred people, and I mean, they were sitting on top of each other. I remember I had the. Uh, I went in because I was a baby face, of course. And I went in and told Danny's wife, I was like, look, my mom was here for the first time. Do I need to pay for her? She said, well, her? no. He just <laughs> paid her on him. I brought her in. She said, out. I was like, well, I know you don't want to get close to the ring. So I set her back far enough to where she can still see everything.
2: Right,
0: right.
1: And that night I had to work Mike Samples. I remember this just like it was yesterday. And michael was, I mean, Mike beat the teetotal hell out of me. <clears throat> and of all the people for him to pick on, he picked on my mom. <laughs> he zeroed in on my mom and he got on her. My mom's a Christian woman, but she said, that's my baby you're doing that to up there. <laughs> And she said, You come out here, I'll show I'll show you something that you've never seen before. The inside of your stomach. Because like, mom Ooh. carried a hookbill knife. Oh man. You hear a pistol packing women, she carried a hookbill uh, knife that would cut you from butthole to throat. Yeah. And was That's not bad. The, uh, not the and not to the it. And he kept on and kept on. I remember rolling over to Dean Hill. I said, Dean, please tell Mike to. I told the ref, I said, ref, tell Mike to ease up on my mom because she's going gunny." So the referees tried to tell Mike, and Mike pie faces him. So I look over at Dean. I said, Dean. Go get Danny. Mom's going to hit the ring I know what's going to happen. I can hear Danny behind the curtain laughing. <laughs> I'm sitting there
2: going, guys, this is not funny. Well, she makes her way to the ring. Oh,
1: boy. And she said, you just come on out here. So the people... I always just to tell her about D- uh, Davis Arena, the original Davis Arena, not the fancy one that Vince helped get for. The original Davis Arena was like the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Ooh. they would bring pizza. They would have silly string. It was a party. Yeah. It was literally a party. Well, some of them put their hands out. And you don't like to try to keep her from going to the ring. She looks so. what do y'all think y'all going to do? They pulled their hands back <laughs> and said, Mike, you're on your own. And I remember Danny telling me, rolling my tell telling to get out of that. By the time... Danny's wife come to get my mom. I rode him up. And you could hear Danny tell the roof, "Count fast, count fast, one, two, three. <laughs> oh, and boy. I rode out, and Mike got up. I went to the back, and uh, Danny was like, "She wasn't kidding." I said, "I told you." And after it was over, we we're we're driving back and We stopped to get something to eat, and she says, "Baby, I'm proud of you. Oh, <laughs> you man. Uh, even though I I wouldn't say degraded you, but you know I was you know just talking bad about what she was wanting to do. You you made me proud out there tonight. That made me want to do this that much more.
0: Absolutely, and I think I thought my mom got defensive when she came to like some of my first few matches, but your mom takes the cake on that. That was an Awesome story, and I, I know you can't see it, but I'm sitting here smiling ear to ear like I was mesmerized by that entire story. That was awesome.
1: And to this day, when I lace up my boots and said, Well, mom, here I go again, and I could just and I could just feel her smiling on me and everything.
0: Absolutely. Now, when all this was going on, how old were you at the time?
1: I was probably 20 because I remember Danny said that I got in. I got in too late. I was probably uh, middle 20s, late 20s. Probably, okay. Because I remember, you know, we had, Danny had a meeting with me and he was like, he's like, oh my God, if I could have got you earlier, oh You know, Danny's like, oh, there's no telling how much money you can make. That's how much Danny loved me and everything. I mean, he's just, he was just like, oh my God, you don't move like you're, like a big man. You move like a, like a lightweight. I was doing leapfrogs. I was 300 and. Uh, I was, uh, I probably tipped, no, I hadn't hit 300 yet, really, because I was working, I was working and everything. I was probably about 285, 289, and I was doing standard leapfrogs. Woo!
2: Man, yeah. that's
1: impressive. That's why when kids, when I ask kids, can you do a standard leap frog?" they look at you. I'm like, what? That was, that's part of the basis. That was one of the things we had to do, and... We had, like, 15 people in the class. You had to do drop-down leapfrog, drop-down leapfrog, drop-down leapfrog. And if you messed up, you had to start all over again. Yes. It was either going to break you or make you.
0: Yep. That's some of those kid cash drills we did, too. Good God.
1: Well, you see, yeah, old school, once again. I was doing ring entrances like a cruiserweight, jumping over the top rope.
0: And that's impressive in itself, too.
1: yeah. And and then when I turned to heel, he said, Now, you realize you can't do none of that stuff that I showed that that we do in class. You're a heel now. And I didn't quite understand what being a heel meant. I knew the concept, but I'm like, but I can wrestle. He's like, yeah, but heels don't wrestle. He had to beat that into me. But I still couldn't get the – but I can wrestle with him. That's where Rip Rogers come into. That's where Rip comes into the picture. He was the one that showed me how to be a heel. No, I take it back. It was Doug Vines.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Uh, Circle City Wrestling in Indianapolis. I I was teaming with Doug Vines. And uh, we was going up against Mike Samples and a young Flash Flanagan. I'm talking young. I bet Flash probably wasn't, he might have been 16. Wow. He was literally, when you say baby, he was literally (laughs) a baby. And I remember it was me and Doug, and we had dumped him in a dumpster and rolled it outside.
0: Oh, man.
1: Oh, my God. The fans, they started throwing stuff at us. (laughs) Doug said, all right, we did our job, and we're walking to the back, and I'm I'm scared to death. But, hey, I'm I'm with the Barroom Brawler, right? Right, right. So the fans knew how to get to the locker room where we was and I was sitting there by myself and they started coming down the thing. Oh, no. We gonna get you. You can't do that The mic Samples and blah, 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 blah. So I'm getting ready to run and Doug grabs me. He said, oh, no. He said, no, you don't, kid. I'm like, but he says, no, now they're in our domain.
2: Oh, once they, boy.
1: Once they step a little bit closer, you just get behind me and I'll show you what happens. And by that time, Doug stepped across, he said, come on. We can't touch you outside. We can't touch you past that rope. But now you in, you in, how did he put it? You in, you're in territories you don't belong in. Well, those people started backing up. And oh, Doug, He grabbed me and, he, and we just kept walking towards them and they kept backing up. And I'm like, oh, so this is what it means to be a heel. Yeah. Uh, that right there was the, my experience on how to, how to be a heel.
2: And
0: it's it's crazy to say, but, like, all the mixed emotions that go on, whether it's fear, anxiousness, whatever it is, that's an adrenaline rush in itself, and I'm speaking from experience being in that spot. But oh, like, man. I, oh. Didn't ha- I didn't have somebody the size of Doug Vines backing me up, but, I mean, I can only imagine what y'all went through with that one. God.
2: Oh,
1: it's, it's like... These people are, you know, throwing stuff. They they've made it into the locker room. Mm-hmm. They're cussing me, and I'm like, <laughs> I better talk about going back being a baby face where I can just shake my butt and dance and, right. and do stuff like that. But then I'm thinking, man, that was such an adrenaline rush, me making people mad. I stayed with Doug probably until he quit coming to Indy, and then I just... Uh, i took it upon myself and just i just remembered and i went back and started watching old video tapes daddy had some classic tapes of uh, continental wrestling where he used to wrestle at and he would let me view them and just and watch the heels and stuff like that and i was starting to get the concept of it but i still wasn't quite there yet it's like, something
0: too like when you're so used to it because i coming from experience again like so much of what you went through mirrors my beginnings as well where it's like you you get trained basically how to wrestle and that's all the stuff the baby face does but then you know like when you finally get the chance to break out and explore it a little bit more it is a bit of a weird transition trying to go from one extreme to the other like i i get that
1: Oh, it is. I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's like, well, how do I how do I know when to turn it on and when to turn it off? Mm-hmm. How do I, it's like? Uh, that's where Rip comes into the picture.
0: Oh man, I can't wait to hear this.
1: Uh, he says, "I got the perfect person to go to teach you how to be a heel." I said, "He's out there, but trust me, I wouldn't trust you with nobody else but him." And uh, Rip took me to a whole new level. I remember what Doug showed me and taught me, but what Rip showed and taught me was hands-on was like, now I get it.
2: Right. Because
1: Rip was that flamboyant, cocky heel that everybody just wanted to get their hands on, but they knew that if they did, they would get their tails whooped. He wasn't much on the mic. That was one thing about Rip. If anybody knows Rip, he never really talked on the mic everything he did was what he did in the ring he could not beat you in the ring and everything like that but rip was so
2: smooth
1: everything he did was a purpose and i picked up on that i learned from that and he said he said love you're the shits He said, but that's all right. You're the Green Apple ones right now, but by the time I get through with you, you you won't be the Green Apples anymore. I said, okay, (laughs) all right. And it was a big transition. Once again, I was blessed to have guys like that. Guys like Doug Vines, Mm -hmm. uh, Rip Rogers that was taking time out to show me the ropes, letting you in, you know, open the door a little bit more. The door hadn't quite officially opened all the way, but it was right there. I could see it. I could almost reach out and touch it. But it was like, nope, you're not ready for that shit. You still got a ways to go. Staying with Rip, I just kept advancing, 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 getting, knowing what it was to be a heel.
0: Yeah. While you're making these advances and you're still learning along the way, like you said, you could see inside the door, but it wasn't open yet. And I'll go back even to when you were, you know, a baby face and still starting out. Even though you're working with these established legends that everybody knows and still talks about today, did you ever like encounter anybody that was difficult to work with or that just we'll, we'll say showed their ass and like made a stink out of something because they their ego was afraid it would be hurt if they worked or if they put you over, so to speak? Like, did you ever have to deal with anything like that or because you were kind of like under these guys' wings? Did that kind of just like already show these guys like oh this kid is somebody i can work with
1: i got it from the guys that i train with
0: oh okay
1: because it was like, who does this kid think he is? He's pretty much taking our, taking what is rightfully our, I guess, our spot. And they're putting him with these guys and they're putting him and they're actually putting him over, which was unheard of. Because mm-hmm. you always hear that you pay your dues, you pay your dues. Yep. And yeah, I paid my dues. I was there every day. I put the ring up. I set the chairs up. Took the chairs down. I cleaned up. I, you know, I did all of that stuff.
0: And that's stuff that most but, kids today don't even do.
1: Oh, if you ask the kid, you ask these kids today to pick up a chair or or help set up the ring, they gonna look at you like, huh? Not yeah. me. I'm like, well, you wasn't trained right. Nope. <laughs> but yeah, I really didn't get it. I, no, I take it back. There was a guy up Indy. What was his name? Um. God. And he made me look so bad at a show. I remember walking back to the locker room. Mike was running the show and he's like, don't worry about it. I'll get you. Mike and somebody had to work him in a tank and they beat that poor guy to death. I mean, every time I tried to do something, he didn't want to put it over. He didn't want to sell. He looked down on me and I was like, dude, I'm just, you know, I'm just like you. I'm wanting to learn, but you're not you're not wanting to help me. I don't want your spot. How the hell? I don't even know what a spot is. Yeah, You know, I'm just wanting to learn. I mean, because I trained with Danny for maybe five months and Mike was already ready to bring me up to Andy, but I had to clear through Danny because I was under contract with Danny. And I remember during that that time also, I was, Rip had talked to Burt Prentice. Bert was running Ozark Championship Wrestling at the time. And I was going to Evansville, but I had to clear through Danny. It was like, wow, wait a minute. And a lot of the other guys in the classes, they wasn't getting booked out like that.
0: Right. And that's so, that's another yeah. thing too. Like I just you saying like you were under contract to Danny, like you tend to hear more horror stories about guys talking about things like that, but I mean from everything I've heard, it's a nice change to hear that it was more positive in that regard, too. So, that's just another one of those things that seems like today's day and age, like, it's just completely gone.
1: Oh, yeah, it's totally gone. It's... A promoter was at Mike's show and said, hey, you know, we like what we like what you see. We know you're still learning, but we would like for you to come in and work one of our shows. Mm-hmm. And I would have to clear it with Danny and Danny would do the background work on it. And says, nah, you don't need to go up there, that's a shit show. I said I said, Okay, you know what's best. That's just the way it worked back or then. And plus, I still owed him money, too. Mm-hmm. So for me to be able to go out and Learn more. And he and he made this perfectly clear. He said, look, because I'm letting you go out. Well, Doug was able to go out and do something. Doug was more advanced than I was. And he, and Danny told me, he said, after class one day, he said, look, because I'm letting you go to Mike's and work, and I'm letting you go to Bert's and work, that don't mean that your training's done. Right. You're not done until I say you're done. And I'm like, yes, sir. And that's
0: another rarity right there, too, because most, again, I hate to circle back to it, but it seems like most of what you see, especially like back when I broke in in 2007, it was more of just the people that would take your money and probably throw you out there before you were ready. And then you're like, oh, your training's done. And if you wanted to continue training, that was up to you to continue finding that. So it's, it's really refreshing to hear that he put that in your head, like your training is not done. But he was still letting you go out and get the experience. That was a refreshing thing, too, so that the learning process didn't stop.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, it was like, you know, Monday, Tuesday. Tuesday, I would have to, I had to train with, I had to get there early, train with the beginning class uh-huh. and then train with the advanced class because I wasn't there Wednesday because I went to Evansville on Wednesday to work for Burke. Right back again on Thursday, you know. I trained with the beginning class, trained with the advanced class, and you know, and so on, so on. So, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was totally different. God, here's something. I don't want the younger guys to think that I'm being cruel when I say like, you guys couldn't have made it when I broke in. Right? It was hard. I mean, you didn't get accepted. It was something special when you were actually accepted into Mm -hmm. the brotherhood.
0: Absolutely. It was like a secret society.
1: Yes. You're in a locker room with legends. Yes. You know guys that you grew up watching and that was one of the that was one of the things that Danny always says now look when you're in locker rooms with legends your peers the one thing that you cannot say is i remember watching you when i was a kid
0: right right
1: He said, don't ever do that because that's not going to turn out good for you yeah i said all right but now i get it now because i'm Guys that watched me during the course of Mm -hmm. 30-some years, when they're now in the businesses, oh, man, I remember watching you in Barberville, Kentucky, and you did this, this, this. And I'm like, I don't even remember that, (laughs) but okay.
0: (laughs) I get that. I get it.
1: But the door still wasn't open to me yet. You know, I still had to go through, you know, I still had some growing pains I had to go yeah. through before that door is officially open. You always hear the term psychology. Psychology. Mm-hmm. Oh, psychology. that's a big one. You didn't get taught psychology in class no. when you was training.
0: No, you didn't.
1: If you had it, it just automatically, you just got it. Boom. Yep. It was one of those things that was like, when you hear your peers telling you, oh my God, kid, you got it. You got it, kid. You're there. Then that's when the doors open for you.
0: Man, and that just, that actually put three different questions into my head here. First one, when everything started like picking up and you were taking more bookings um, and you were also doing the or the beginning and the advanced class training, how was your body adjusting and holding up to all that during that time?
1: Oh, Lord, brother. <laughs> Everybody knows tra- wrestling training is a whole different beast.
0: Yes, sir, it is.
1: If the ropes don't get you, that ring will.
0: It absolutely oh. will.
1: And I discovered over the course of time that all rings are not built equal.
0: Oh, no, sir, they are not. <laughs> Speaking from experience.
1: Yeah, you got some that when you take a bump, it's like, oh, this is heaven. Yes. Then you got some where it's like, ooh, throw me outside the ring and let me take a bump on the concrete. I think it would get better than this (laughs) ring. The ring really wasn't bad. Uh huh. It was those road trips. Yes. You know, you've just worked and. You're feeling good, but coming from Evansville, you know, from where I live, it was it was a two-hour drive. And by the time you get to uh, Corden, you're sitting there going, oh, my God, what is oh going boy. on with my body? Why is my body wanting to not up? And I'm like, oh, geez. By the time I get home, and I'm still young now. And I'm walking up the hill to get into the house, and Mom looks at me like, rough night.
2: You Uh, don't
0: even know the half of it.
1: (laughs) The match wasn't rough. It was just that drive. I remember going to the gym. I got a membership at a gym with a guy that was part of the old ICW crew, uh, Big Mike Doggendorf.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I was talking to him about it and everything, and he was like, "Well, here's what you need to do." And he gave me a he gave me a routine, and he said, "This is what you know: stretch after your match. Stretch. You're probably not drinking enough fluids. Get fluids, and you know, get some fluids in your body and everything like that. And it helped, but it was still hard. You're driving, and you can just feel your muscles and everything just." up. Uh, it was rough, but I never complained. That was the thing. I knew it wasn't going to be easy, and I didn't want nothing handed to me, and I never got nothing handed to me. Everything that I got in this business, I worked for. I yes, sir. It. I didn't take no shortcuts. I didn't politic, even though I was always accused of it. I never politicked. Everything that I got was because the promoter liked me.
0: Absolutely. I get that 100%, and that's kind of like an easy go-to if somebody's ego gets hurt or somebody doesn't get their way, or like you even referenced earlier, somebody feels like you took their spot. Those are kind of like the easy cop-outs to go to. Everything you just said is 100% spot-on accurate. Again, I think around these parts, you're going to be hard-pressed to find somebody that would argue that, too. Going to the next question now, between being the good guy, babyface, or the bad guy, heel, When it finally started clicking as far as the heel goes, did you have a preference then of which one you liked better, and do you have a preference now of which one you like better?
1: I like being a heel.
0: Yes, sir. That's both of us.
1: I mean, a heel is so much easy because all you have to do is... You get that crowd already ready, uh, ready to see you get your tail get whooped. Mm -hmm. And if you got a baby face that will listen to you, that's something else that is lost.
0: Yes, sir, it is.
1: He'll call the match unless Mm -hmm. they're in the ring with an experienced baby face.
0: Yep, and that was actually something uh, I was listening to one of Jeff Jarrett's podcasts today, and that's exactly what he said there, too.
1: He said, I don't care who you are. The heel always calls the match unless you're in the ring with an experienced baby face.
0: Yes, sir.
1: And that's what I always used to tell the guy. I said, look, it's going to be an easy night. All you got to do is clap your hands, do whatever, do it. Here's a few spots we can throw in. sporadically. my heat is simple. Just flow. It's a dance. Sometimes you get guys that wants to cooperate. Sometimes you don't. And then when you get the guys that don't want to cooperate, that's Julie when I weed them out.
0: Yep. And I've seen you do that. And that's something we're going to actually come back to here in just a moment because I don't want to skip ahead too far but the third question now that popped into my head after you were talking about psychology is um I remember when it happened for me I remember that moment very vividly like how far I was into my career where I was that portion of the match do you have that memory for when it clicked for you and can you kind of tell us about
2: that
1: yes I do it was in Simpsonville, Kentucky, at a county fair, and this card was stacked. It had the Phantoms, Jerry and Troy. I had Mike Samples. It had, was well, Stephen Dahl.
0: Yep, yep.
1: Chris Champion, Tracy Smothers, George Weingroff. This was the card, and here I am stuck in the middle of all of these legends. Oh, yeah all of these legends and there was some uh, let's see Doug Basham was on that card and the second time I got to work with Tracy Tracy for years didn't realize that he was my very first professional match really yeah Tracy was really my very first professional match he was still in WCW as part as young pistol Tracy yep. Yeah, he was my very first professional, professional match. I mean, I've had matches, but professional was Tracy Smothers. Tracy Smothers, uh, so to speak, took my chair.
0: Kind of tying a lot of this all together, as odd as it is, you and Tracy both were actually a couple of my final matches back in 2018, I think. I worked you guys consecutively. One one month was him, next month was you. And that's just like it's funny how that all ties together, but man, he that guy had such an impact on so many people. And I don't even know if he realized like how much he impacted so many people.
1: It's hard to put in words what Tracy means to me. What he's done for? Me. I know everybody has their own favorite Tracy story, but I it, Tracy will always go down to me as the guy who come back to the locker room after that first match and said, "Oh my God, this kid's hungry. He like to beat me to death out <laughs> there. You, do I owe you money? What you beat me to death? I've been an easier car crashes. And I'm sitting there going, Oh my God, I just." Stiff Tracy Smothers, oh, and he's on Friday. Right and I thought about that. Thought about that when I worked Tracy at this Simpsonville fair. And I told, him, I said, Tracy, do you realize you were my very first match? It's what? No, yeah. He's like, oh my god, here we are. We get ready to work again. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and we went out there, and we did. Probably 20 minutes. And this is outside, but this is before global warming and all that. You can go 20 minutes and really go yeah, without going. (laughs) And I remember after it was over, he said, oh, my God, kid, you're there. I didn't quite get what he meant when he said, you're there. And then when I come back, Chris Champion, Steve Dahl, George White said, yeah, you got it. Your psychology—it just clicked. That's amazing. And that's how it is. That's why it's it, when people says, "Well, how do you teach it? You can't teach it. Either you got it or you don't." Mm-hmm. I mean, granted. it. I'm out there with Tracy Smothers, but still the way that the guys broke it down to me, I wish I could remember all the terminology that they said, but they said, kid, your, your man, your memorisms, your everything that you did, you knew when to turn it up, then you knew when to back it down. I actually was calling stuff for Tracy to do. And I remember apologizing to Tracy. I said, oh my God, Tracy, I'm so sorry. He said, no, oh, that was good. I was good. You called stuff right where it needed to be. And even he said, he's like, oh, my God, you got it. You're there. He said, I'll work with you any day of the week. It's a night off. And to get that kind of praise, especially from Tracy, I mean, you know, he was, you know, big time. Yes, you know, sir. That, yeah. But then when you get it from George Weingroff, ICW legend, probably one of the best shooters of our business, you know, for him to tell you, yeah, you got it. But don't let it go to your head. That right, was, was yes. Don't let it go to your head because uh, cause don't, don't make us have to bring you down or not. It, it felt good, but it was in Simpsonville, Kentucky at a county fair.
0: Man, that's oh, that's amazing! And you get the stamp from like the who's who, basically, like you said, that you looked up to, or that you would you would see on TV. Like those guys put their stamp of approval on you and gave you that acknowledgement. Man, that's that's amazing.
1: Oh yeah, to be honest with you, I think that's what's missing with guys today. They don't have that. They don't have the George Weingroff. Well, a lot of guys don't even know who George Weingroff is. If you ask them, be like, you know who George Weingroff is? Uh, No. Uh, Who? Uh, Yeah. They didn't have the pleasures of working with a Stephen Dahl. Yeah. Or a Chris Champion. I come in at that time where those guys were still hot on TV, but they would come in and do indie shots. You know, you always got to work them. Or you got to sit in the locker room and just listen to them talk. I don't want to diss the seminars too much because I'm supposed to be doing a couple seminars myself. That was our seminar right there, and we didn't have to pay for it. All we had to do was sit and listen.
0: It kind of goes back to an old saying that I always heard, and a lot of times people would say it almost as a joke, but it was always, you know, you learn more in the cars and the bars than you ever did in the ring. That's a fact. I believe it. And, I mean, just from getting to ride with some of these guys, like, I can 100% attest to that.
1: I got one even better for you. I'm There's so much kind of jumping. I was working for the USWA. I rode down with Doug because he was in the semi, mate. I was opening, and I opened with uh, Jimmy Valiant's rider, Luigi. huh Simple little match. And I remember coming back to the back. I don't know if you remember the original Dream Machine, Troy Graham. yes. Okay, he was sitting back there in the back. He was getting the main was him and Lawler. He was sitting there and he was just talking. And you know, I pull my chair up. Doug's going to go out for his match, and I'm sitting there and he's talking, asking one of the kids to go get him something to drink. One of the newbies, and they looked at him like, "Who are you telling me to go get you something to drink?" Oh. So I was like excuse me, what do you want? He said, ah, get me a Diet Coke or something. I said, okay, I got it. And he went to go get me money. I said, no, I got it, I got it. So I went and I couldn't go out because I was a heel, but I got one of the guys in the back. I said, look, Troy wants a Diet Coke. Here's the money, go get it for him and I'll take it to him. They're like, oh, okay, don't worry about it. Troy ain't got to pay for it. So they brought me his Coke and I took it to him. Well, he was sitting there and he had a ruler. And he was oh. pre-gigging his forehead. And I looked at him. He's like, Huh, you never saw that before, have you, kid? <laughs> I'm like, No. <laughs> oh man. Then he pulled out this bottle. Loose skin. Loose skin was back here in the early nineties, let yep. me tell you. Yep. So then he started covering it up. His scars was gone. And I'm sitting there going, Oh wait a minute. I just sat there and watched him take a razor blade and cut his forehead. He put this stuff on, and now it's gone. So I looked at him. I said, I don't know how to ask this, so just bear with me. He said, oh, ask away. I said, what did you just do?
2: <laughs>
1: he said, first of all, who trained you? I said, um, Nightmare Daddy Davis. He said, oh, the little pimp squeak? I'm like, oh. <laughs> he's still wearing the star over his eye I'm like, oh my god I'm like, no he don't wear the star over his eye unless, unless he has to work or something he's like oh okay well I can tell you and then, then you can go back and tell him that I helped him out with part of your training he said you know a lot of guys they can gig without the fans seeing them and then a lot of guys they're sloppy when they when they go for the gig and they, and they get juice and I was like okay, what's again, what's juice? He said, blood, kid, blood. I said, oh, okay, all right. That's a terminology that I hadn't heard yet, but all right. He said, when I do this, when men lower's out there, we're going at it, and when he hits me in the forehead, if he hits me just right, I'm going to bust open. But they'll never see me, you know, I don't yeah. have to crawl underneath of the ring and get color or anything like that. And I was like, Oh, awesome. <laughs> <So annoying. laughs> wow. I mean, I learned a lot right there.
0: Absolutely. And I, and I learned a lot right there just hearing that because you don't really hear about too many people doing that.
1: No, he was the only one I ever saw do that. I was like, oh. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I'm like, why is this guy cutting his forehead like that? <laughs> He you know, he just not Oh kid, get away from me. Oh, what are you doing back here anyway? But he was real polite. He was just like, he was like, oh, okay, daddy ain't told you that part well. Tell him that I just I just smartened you up. I yeah. just helped you out with your training. But once again, there you go. You don't have that kind of influence in the locker rooms now.
0: No, sir, you don't.
1: I've been extremely blessed to do this for as long as I have.
0: Absolutely. And that kind of brings up another question, too. Um, I don't necessarily know if it's more of like a giving back to the business question or just trying to kind of guide them on the right path. But I know you've referenced it a couple times with some kids kind of, I guess, letting their ego get in the way. And I've even seen it happen where somebody that's a young guy that has mouthed off or whatever and come up on the wrong end and basically gotten put in his place. When you see situations like that with, like, younger kids in the business these days, do you find it easier to maintain your patience with them? Or is it just kind of uh, you give them that chance and if they don't take the chance, like, how do you navigate a situation like that?
1: Well, I learned that I always give them the three-strike rule. Uh-huh. It's always one. Okay, you get all right. You're not listening. That's one. And then if you continue, that's two. And if you make it to three, and you just might as well. I hope you got good insurance because I'm gonna beat the hell out of you.
0: And I've seen it happen.
1: And it's not pretty.
0: No, <laughs> no, sir. And it's kind of. I was gonna say in that situation. I was that guy's tag partner and another mutual friend of ours, Chad Stallings, was in there as well. And we we both knew, yeah, we're gonna stay over here, but yeah, 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 yeah. That's all you. I, I hate seeing things like that, but it's also kind of like, man, just listen to these guys because they've been to these places where you want to go and where we're trying to go. It's so like, why would you not listen to them? I never understood that.
1: Everybody thinks that I like doing that. I hate doing that. Yeah. Because I remember I was you. Mm-hmm. But I listened. Because I seen what happened when those guys that didn't listen and they got their heads on them. I did not want that. Yeah, And I tell guys now when I go to shows and there's a lot of young guys on there and, you know, they look at me like, uh. Uh, uh. And I tell him, look, I'm not here to take your spot. not here to be a permanent fixture. I'm just here to help. Once I do what I'm supposed to do, you won't see me no more. Unless the promoter calls us, Vic. I need you. Yeah. It's up to y'all. And I put this question out to some guys. I said, what are y'all going to do when there's no more Vic the Bruiser? Very good question. What are you going to do when... Promoter don't have faith in you, but he has to call a 50-year-old man to come in to boost the show up. Yeah. What are y'all gonna do when that guy's no longer available?
0: That's a very humbling question.
1: And I tell myself, I I'm not being cocky. Think about that. What are you gonna do when when that guy when I'm no longer doing this? Are you going to be able to go out there and grab that crowd and keep them? Whether you're a baby face or whether you're a heel, can you keep them?
0: Very true. I mean, like you said, like, I guess you could call it evolving, but you know, some people may argue that. But you see the way things are, especially in wrestling now, compared to the way they were back then. I'm more of a fan of the back then because a lot of the stuff was based in reality Yeah, the stuff today, the athleticism and all that stuff is cool. It's more relatable when the heel or the bad guy, whatever your preference of calling it is, Thumb somebody in the eye that's something everybody can relate to but that's yes. something that almost nobody wants to go to today it's simple it's believable and it's effective like you don't see somebody kick the knee it's got to be this no. intricate three three move sequence that the audience may not get past the first sequence and then it just falls flat I, exactly. i've never understood that and maybe it's just because i'm not capable of doing a lot of those athletics so i tend to Stay in my comfort zone. I don't know, but that's just my personal preference on it.
1: You know, Corey Williams, yeah, you know Corey. Oh yeah. He made the perfect example. He said the perfect statement. We were in Green County for Terry. All these guys was calling their spots and everything like that. Corey was going up and he was watching the matches. That was another rule that we had. Back in the day, you watch the matches yes, sir. so you don't repeat. What the other matches is done. Yep. So Corey was up there reading the crown and everything. And he come back. He looked at me. He says, bro, what are you going to do? I said, well, I'm working Jeff. It's pretty much going to be heat, heat, heat. Come back. Group finish. And then we'll do something to set up for the next town down the road. He says, all right. He was working Chris Michaels. Night off. And, uh, and uh, yeah, night off for both of them. Yep. You know, two of wrestling's best. I remember Chris was saying, well, What are we going to do, brother? He's like, huh, We're going to give him." How did he put it? He didn't call it comedy. He gave it this specific word. And Chris looked at him like, Man, but I want to work. He said, This crowd don't want that. Nope. The, the matches before, they set on the hands. They want a little ha-ha. They want the heel to get ha-ha. But they want the baby face to get ha They want to feel sorry for the baby face. Yep. They went out there and did that. Corey and Chris primed the crowd for me and Jeff. So when they come back, some of the guys that was in the back like, we all didn't do anything. Corey looked at and said, yeah, we did. We went out there we worked. We gave the people what they wanted. But... You didn't do anything. He said, that's the problem with you young punks. Corey called them punks. He said, that's the problem with you young punks. Y'all want to go out to do all this flippity-floppity crap that the people don't, can't follow, don't know what the hell you're doing, can't relate to it. He says, spin on. look at it like this. If you go to a buffet... Do you want it all in one, at one time or do you want a little bit? Do you want your steak, prime rib, the other kind of meat all on the same plate along with everything else? Or do you want your prime rib and your sides? It's like breakfast. Yes, sir. Do you want to give them bacon, eggs, and pancakes? Maybe they don't want bacon. Maybe they want something else. Or maybe they just want pancakes. Yeah, You give them that. And I was like, huh, "He's exactly right,
0: 100 I mean, percent."
1: Yeah, I mean, y- you go out there, you don't know what that crowd wants. That crowd may want a Smash Mouth in your face match. Yep. Then that crowd may want just what me and Jeff did. Go out there, get Jeff beat the living tar out of me. I would fire up. The people come on Vic, come on, Vic. And then hitting when a roll up, the place goes nuts. Jeff and Phil gets back on me, and we set up for, you know, later on down the road.
0: Absolutely.
1: The business is not hard.
0: No, no, sir, it is not.
1: The, The guys make it hard.
0: Yes, they do. And I think it's they they get in their own way or they overcomplicate things when it just needs to be simple.
1: Yeah. The problem is, once again, I'm going back to my training. When I was with Danny, we wasn't allowed to look at wrestling. Right. That was a no-no. When you was training, you didn't go to the gardens. That was a no-no. You didn't watch wrestling on TV. That was a no-no. If you wanted to watch something, Danny had a library of Continental where, he, where him and uh, Ken Wayne were. He says, if you want to watch and learn, watch and learn from this. You're not going to learn anything by watching WWF or, at the time, the NWA or WCW or all of those companies there. Mm-hmm. This is right here. This is where you're going to learn from.
0: Very true.
1: i Wow. And that's what I tell kids. I said, look, when I was training, Danny told, he said, pick a guy and watch and learn from him. Well, my guy was Randy Savage. Randy Savage and uh, and, uh, Eddie Gilbert, those were the two guys that I patterned most of my stuff from. I patterned Randy so much that Danny said, Vic, you got to stop. I've been sitting there looking at a short, black Randy Savage in the ring. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> stop. I'm like, okay, I get it. All right. He says, it's all right. To just make it your own. Just don't mimic him like that. I said, okay, I got you. That's how I learned a lot of stuff. But then also, I had Rip. And then there was Tracy. Then there was Steve Dunn. You know, and that list goes on and on. And Doug Vines. There were so many influences that made Victor Bruiser, Victor Bruiser. Danny taught me how to work. Those guys taught me the business. Danny taught me the business too because I got to sit back and I seen how he how he would book a card, how he would write a card up. Danny let me sit in on that. He didn't let very many people sit in on him. Look at a show, right? Or wrapping the card up, coming up with finishes. I got to sit in on that.
0: That's a, I mean, that's another like nod of encouragement right there as well. I and mean, it's going back to what you said earlier. You could see through the door, but the door wasn't all the way in. But that's another foot through the door right there, getting an experience like that.
1: Yeah, because I, I used to ask him, he said, how do you come up with this stuff? He says, uh, okay, stick around after class and I'll show you. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, right. He looked at me and said, am I laughing? Uh, no. <laughs> no <you're
2: not." laughs>
1: and he would ask my input on my match. I'm green. I don't know nothing about putting, you know, putting a match together again Right. in that stage. And he says, well, what do you think you should do? And I would throw out ideas at him and even he would, and he would write them down. And he's like, Huh, I like it. As I'm leaving the I'm leaving the building, I'm sitting there going, he's just doing that to just make me feel good. He's gonna throw that shit away. The next show, he says, Vic, you remember what we talked about? All right, no. And then he jogs my mirror and says, Oh yeah. He says, I want you to do that. I said, Really? Wow. I mean, that sounds good. That's why when, you know, somebody asked me, well, Vic, what do you think about this? I said, oh, let's trim it down. You're giving them too much. Don't give it all to them at one time. I learned that.
0: I remember, like, just listening to guys like you and then other guys like Chris Michaels that I was around, just all these guys that kind of went through that same kind of upbringing in the business. Anytime I would ever have to work with somebody younger or that had less experience than me, and, you know, after things that started clicking for me, I would take that same mentality of, well, that's too much. Let's trim the fat a little bit and see where we can plug and play from there. So I get that. Like, that's, it just makes so much sense. And it, it blows my mind how there are so many parallels here, too.
1: Well, then another thing is, nobody knows how to Shakespeare anymore. No. That's what is hurting indie wrestling, because nobody knows how to Shakespeare.
0: Absolutely.
1: Every show that I go to, I see guys calling their whole match, and I'm like, that ain't gonna go the way that they think it's gonna go. Nope. And then when they come back, man, where were you at? You were supposed to be here, you were supposed to be there, blah, blah, blah. Nah, nope. I'd be working somebody, said, so, well, what are we gonna do? I said, you're a heel, right? Yeah. Go out there and get on the people. I'm going to go out there and, and Terry, God love him. He said, Terry is saying, Vic's the reincarnation of Dusty Rhodes. He can get in the middle of the ring and just sit there and do his fist and pat his feet. And the people's with him. Yep. And that's pretty much, that's, that's, my babyface stuff is nothing more than my heel stuff. Only people like it.
0: Only thing that changes is the person you're working with. That's it. And that makes that's me it. think too, like I've been thinking this whole time since you brought up Corey Williams. That, that tag program that we had and even going back to just getting to work with you guys individually, I can't think of anything maybe other than the finish that we ever called other than just kind of letting it go on the fly and just, like you said, Shakespeareing it. Because i mean, like, if we tried to call anything, there's no way in the back we would have ever been able to plan out you giving me chops with someone's flip-flop. There's no way anything like that would have ever happened. If it's not on the fly, it's just, it's so, it's not organic. And it doesn't translate well. Like you said, it's not going to go the way they planned.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, the the whole flip-flop thing, that's the, become a whole new beast in itself. <sighs> now when I go to shows and people, those that I use the flip-flop, I literally have people that will go buy flip-flops just for me to use.
0: I mean, it's like your soul leaves your body the second that thing makes contact.
1: Oh yeah, and I'm sitting there going, man, I really like, I really like him. Why am I doing <laughs> this too? I mean, it's like, i I'm like, man, he's gonna have to get. To... But Julie, in all in all fairness, if I do something like it, I said, please, you have got to beat the lit. You better get some good heat yep, on
0: me. give it back, give it right back. <laughs>
1: I give it right back. That's the thing. I, I am not a selfish person. I no, think sir. You make me selfish. If you make me be selfish, I. I understand because it because you did do what you were supposed to.
0: I understand it, and man, as we're getting up here closer to an hour and a half, again, I'm I can't. Sorry. No, 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 no. Sorry at all. Like I'm just. I'm sitting here mesmerized by all this, but I could keep you here all night. But. <laughs> There, there's going to be some more chats down the road. I can already tell you that now. But there's a couple more questions that I wanted to get in before we um, we brought it home here. First one, okay. since you said Shakespeare, again, I feel like you're just feeding me questions. And it's like we're having a match again right now. But after I got out of the business, I did start taking some Shakespeare classes. I got into some improv classes that I'm still doing Had you ever had any thoughts of transitioning into the acting realm as well, or has it all just kind of been strictly focused on wrestling?
1: I would love to be able to do something like it. Believe it or not, a lot of people don't know this about me. I used to write stories.
0: Oh, wow. See, I didn't even know that.
1: Yeah, I I used to write stories. My teacher always used to accuse me of plagiarism because my stories were so in-depth, so this, so that. My mama said, Vic turned in a story that we think that he copied it. My mom said, no, he didn't copy it because I read it. I said, are you sure you would turn this in? So, yeah, I would love to venture into that realm of acting because I think I'd be
0: good at it. Absolutely. I mean, we'll we'll talk some more off air about that one because I mean your your natural charisma in itself would very easily translate. and I've come to find out too, like even talking to Chris Michaels and his son Skyler, just like the wrestling does a lot more to get you like comfortable in that genre than you would expect. so we'll we'll have some conversations off air about that. My other question before we wrap up here tonight is there have been some rumors going around and some that may have been trying to pull me back into wrestling as well with this, but that you may be considering hanging it up at the start of next year. Any any truth to those rumors?
1: Yeah, it's true. I thought about it, thought about it. If I'm living it nothing happens. January 10th, I'll be 55.
0: Ooh. Still, still young, though. People still people young. I'm that old. That's young.
1: Everybody thinks, yeah, they like, ah, oh, you ain't that old. I said, 1967, figure it out. I always remembered what Tracy says, can kid, work with me, you're working until you're 100.
2: <laughs> well,
1: Tracy's gone, and I don't want to continue on. <laughs> I don't see me working until I'm a 100. Yeah, it's time. I've worked for every promotion that I wanted to work for. Mm-hmm. They've grace me they trusted me to hold their titles there's nothing left for me to prove i mean there's a couple guys i would like to to maybe mentor to after i'm you know after i step away Uh but that's strictly up to them i've done done all i can do
0: i Uh, got you
1: there's nothing really left for me to do to be honest with you
0: That's one thing I love and respect right there is like the level of self-awareness where you're not just like, like you said, you've accomplished everything that you've set out to do. You don't have anything else left to accomplish. And now you're not kind of just you know, like becoming one of those guys you see that unfortunately sometimes hangs around too long past their heyday and starts to tarnish their image. So I love that level of self awareness right there. I have so much respect for the fact that it's going out on your terms. So that's even that's even nicer.
1: I got a phone call from uh, Idol Stevens. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, I got a phone call from him because he heard about it. He said, "He said I got to ask the question." I'm like, yeah. He's like, (laughs) are you going out because you want to go out, or is people forcing you out? I'm like, no, this is my decision. And I explained to him why, how I come to this decision. And he's like... Okay, I respect you for that because you know. Even he says you got a, you got so much that you can teach the kids mm-hmm. that want to learn. But he says, but if you feel like that you've done ran your course, you know, I respect you and wish you the best. That made me feel good because Absolutely. he was one of the guys that when he was he was up at OVW, he wanted to from Master Rich. He come to Evansville, he's like, who can you put me in the ring with that I can learn from and not get hurt? He said, Vic. Johnny pointed at me, Vic. And me and him had some, probably some of the best matches down there. It's just great that I had the chance to work with him. And when he got his job, he taught, he, you know, he, he called me. He sent me a message. He said, dude, you know, I just want to thank you for the times that we shared in the ring. I, I was grateful for that. And I didn't do anything. I mean, I really didn't do anything. He's, he, he really appreciated the time that he spent in the ring with me.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I just love the fact that it all comes back to essentially you giving back to the business that you love so much. Like the thing that you and your mom watched growing up, you know, like that's... That's so awesome right there in itself that you give back as opposed to just, oh, it owes me or so-and-so owes me. Like I love that it's the opposite of what you tend to hear more of nowadays.
1: Well, here's the thing. I'm glad you – I know our time's running out. Here's the thing. The wrestling business don't owe nobody nothing.
0: 100%.
1: That's what a lot of guys has got to understand. We're privileged to be a part of a fraternity that dates back to the 1940s. But here's a little history for you. Do you realize that all the black wrestlers were always heels? Yes. There was never babyfaces. You can bleep this if you have to. But they never gave them a name. They was just called Negro. Mm. Do you know who the very first black babyface was?
0: It wasn't Bobo Brazil, was it?
1: No, it was Thunder it was a Thunderbolt Patterson.
0: That's right. That you're right.
1: He was the one that broke the mold. Yes, man. I researched that. Yeah. Because I was like, oh, wow. And then it just, then it set a trend right after that. Then you had Seeky. Everybody says, that. oh, man, you should have went by the son of Seeky instead of Victor Bruiser or something like that. Right, right. But yeah, that's a whole nother story. That's a whole nother story in itself. But yeah, the rest of the business don't owe us anything. No, it does not. This this mentality that the guys have now that, oh, I can't be replaced. Yeah, you can't.
0: We're just cogs in the machine. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, if one monkey don't stop no show.
0: No, no, it does not.
1: I used to tell everybody, I'm like, everybody's, like, oh, the business is going to be, the because Victor Bruce is not in it, no more the business is still going to go on. Yep. That just means y'all got to work harder. Yes, so listen, sir. It does. I said, let's face it: the Chase Stevens, the Chris Michaels, the Jeremiah Plunkett's, the Victor Bruisers, the Gator McAllisters. Mm-hmm. Those guys. We're not going to be around forever, right? We're not going to be around forever, so you, you you need to get your shit together.
0: One hundred percent.
1: Once we're gone, there'll never be another Chris Michaels. Nope. There will never be another Jeremiah Plunkett, Chase Stevens, Gator McAllister, and there never, unless somebody's got some of my blood and they clone it, and there damn sure will never be another Victor Rooster.
0: I mean, that's just part of like just how special you not only you are, but like that entire generation and even some of those younger guys like Jeremiah Plunkett that you were referencing that respect the way you guys were brought up, that respect the, I hate saying old school, but the quote-unquote old school mentality and way of the business. Like those guys are the ones you need on these shows. Those guys are the ones that need are needed – to rein these guys in that can do all these athletic things but don't know how to tie them together like those guys are the backbone and the glue of these shows the locker rooms and the business yep. you've got to have guys like that i'd be mean, like i said it may it's a buffet while they may not appeal to everybody you've got to have those guys for the guys that do appeal to you to have these standout matches to have these five-star matches to help get what they're doing over where it connects to the people that buy the tickets. Like These guys are so important, and I I know I'm sounding like a broken record, but man, like you've got to have the psychology, the simplicity. You've got to be able to bring it all together and make it relatable for the people that buy the tickets. That's how it works. works.
1: That's right. I tell these young guys, don't watch AEW. That's not wrestling. That's a bunch of athletic guys on a trampoline. There's no psychology in that stuff whatsoever. There's good matches. Don't yes. get me wrong. I'll do not knock at product. But there's no psychology in those matches. It's all spot, 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 spot. Now I will say this. I did watch the the Daniel Bryan and Bobby Fish match. Yes. That was a hell of a match.
0: Oh yeah. If there wasn't but, psychology totally in scared. that, you know, I'd be I'd be very surprised.
1: But The rest of those matches is just flip-flop, spot-spot-spot-spot-spot-spot-spot-spot-spot-spot. The chance, this is awesome. We didn't have to hear that to know that we were good. Right. The ticket sales alone proved that we were good.
0: Yep, because those people kept coming back every time you made the loop or every time you came back to town. You'd get familiar with those faces.
1: Yeah, that's what I tell these guys say, look, you will never know how over you are with the fans when they say, oh, I hate that Victor Bruce, I'm not going to buy a ticket to see him next week. Yep. they're the first ones in line buying a ticket to see me next week.
0: Yep. And I remember back just, you know, in Bowling Green when we were having our tag program and we finally got that going, you would hear people <laughs> chanting for you to chop me or whatever it was, like, people would just come to see me get manhandled by you and Corey, or me and Zach get manhandled by you and Corey. Whatever the combination was, yeah. that relationship with you guys was there so much that it made our jobs of being the bad guys that much easier, and then all we had to do was basically look at them, and then they were ready for you guys to tear into us with chops, or whatever we ended up doing. Like, it was just so much easier.
1: Yeah. That's the lost art. That's working. Yes, sir. You feed off the crowd. The crowd will let you know what they want.
0: And again, that all ties back to what you said earlier. These guys lay all these spots out in the back, and it ain't going to go the way they want. Because if the crowd's not buying it, you can't keep going through those spots if they're not get if they're not into it.
2: Nope.
1: <laughs>
0: Shakespeare and improv comes in there. Just be willing to go with it and have fun.
1: That's right, but that's the problem. They don't have nobody teaching that. Nope. These guys that's going to these, and I'm not saying they're not going to a real school. They're just going and letting somebody train them that needs to be trained themselves. Yeah, That's what's hurting the business. There's more marks in the locker room than there is sitting out in, in the, the spotting tickets.
0: Unfortunate to say, but that is true. And most of it is because they can the amount of people they can bring to a show. Which is all well and good until you get in there and somebody gets hurt.
2: Yep, you've seen it.
0: Yes, sir. <laughs> Un Unfortunately, I have, and unfortunately, I've been I've been in the ring with people like that. Yep. But you know, it's like you just you hope for the best and you try to keep everybody safe and put a turd in a tuxedo. But you you work with what you
1: got. No matter what you do, it's still a turd. Yeah,
0: that pfft, <laughs> took the words out of my mouth. Oh, but man, we didn't even scratch the surface on, like, half the stuff I wanted to get to tonight, and, you know, like I was saying a minute ago, we would be here all night, like, if we, you know, if we even unpacked the rest of that iceberg, so I'm going to use that as an excuse to have you back again, and if we can, once, uh, you know, once the the final match happens after the start of the year, I'd love to have you back on again and just kind of Tell everybody about that once you've had a chance to process the emotions there. And maybe we'll unpack some more of the stories from, you know, like traveling around and all these different territories you've worked.
1: Oh, please. Yeah. And I definitely want you there.
0: Absolutely. I'm Just let me know because I've already been talking to Terry about it. Some things may be in the works. I'll I'll be there.
1: I'll tell you this. I know we got to go close. We're basing the show off of matches that I would like to see. Okay. And I want you there.
0: I'll be in shape and ready to go. Well, as in shape as I can be, but I'll be there.
1: (laughs) That's okay. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you tell me the time and place, and I will be there. So I guess we're making that announcement here, too. (laughs) All right. Perfect, perfect. Well, Vic, I can't wait to see you again. And, man, again, thank you for just telling the tip of your story tonight and sharing some of these experiences with everybody and man like i said i can't wait to see you again and i definitely can't wait to have you back on for part two
1: Thank you. It was my honor when you when you messaged me about it. I'm like, oh wow, well, yeah, most definitely. Because everybody's always asking me to be a part of a podcast, but I knew yours was was legit, and I would love to, and I couldn't wait to do it. Well,
0: man, I wish you could see the smile on my face. Like I can't tell you how much that truly means to me. So again, from the bottom of my heart, thank you and. I'm going to go ahead and thank the audience here, too, because, guys, we're getting into the swing of the holidays. We're almost to Christmas, and things are getting hectic, but you're still taking the time to listen to our episodes here. And if this was your first episode, I mean— God, this was a great one to start with, but make sure you go back in the archives and get caught up because we've got more wrestling stories from guys like Chris Michaels that we referenced here tonight. We're going to have more coming down the road, so make sure you subscribe there, and we've got something for everybody with past guests, whether it's acting, teachers, whatever it may be, or somebody that's transitioning, they're all there, but guys, as we get into the holidays too, make sure you're giving the gift of this podcast and sharing it with everybody that may... Be going through a tough time because our guests, even my own story from episode one, has something that everybody can learn from or, you know, everybody can benefit from and know that they're not alone in their struggles. So make sure you're sharing this podcast. Make sure you're following us on all social media platforms and sharing those too. We'll have links in the show notes. We're going to have information about the address for Vic's last show in the show notes as well. So if you're in the area, make sure you come out and support. And guys, Thank you again, and we'll talk to you next week, and I know you hear
1: me. Hey, this is Jimmy Street, host of the Live and in Color with Wolfie D podcast. Hear the life and times of professional wrestler Wolfie D. From his times in the territories with PG 13 to his times in WWE, ECW, WCW, TNA, and more, nothing is off limits and nothing will be held back. Available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and all major podcast formats.